Okay, so within, the, within those five books, though, there are different types of, of psalms. And again, there's you know, a lot of work gone into trying to define each, you know, different groups of psalms, laments, psalms of repentance, things like that. And uh, it's quite helpful. Although if you really push it, you know, you could really come up with 150 different types of psalms. Uh, but I think broad categories are helpful. And in actual fact, in First Chronicles uh, chapter 15 and 16, the chronicler records that uh, David appointed the Levites to, to do three things. Make petition, to give thanks, and to praise the Lord. And so there's been a, a, a division of the Psalms taken from that, because, I mean, that's... Okay, it's not going to work. Uh, that's inspired, that we know there are those three categories. So uh, petitions, uh, thanksgiving, And praise. But within, within these, and these you could almost put together as well, thanksgiving and praise, because praise is, is, is it, you know, type of, thanksgiving is a type of praise, isn't it? So petitions, underneath petitions, you'd have laments. So a petition is when you, you're asking God for something. And so a lament is where you're asking God, you know, why? Why is this happening? And please bring it to an end. Okay. Um, please, please help me. And there's, there's, there's a movement to praise not ordinarily, as I said, except for Psalm 88, where it's the only one that doesn't end with praise. And then there's penitential Psalms where... The petition is for forgiveness. And then uh, Psalms of Confidence. Uh, so just petitioning the Lord to carry on doing what he's doing, you know. But you, O Lord, or the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So you're uh, you're, you're confident in the Lord and trusting Him to continue that. And then petitions of judgment. And so their technical term of a lot of these is called imprecatory psalms. An, Im an imprecation is a, a curse. So, um, those are just some of the categories that you can you can uh, look at as you go through. Um, and so, we're going to look now at a few psalms just to, yeah, just to whet your appetite and hopefully help you as you read through the psalms. So, as I said, I believe all of Scripture is ultimately. Every complete pericope, every standalone section points to Jesus Christ in some way, his person or his work. 
Okay, either something to do with his attributes or character or something that he, uh, he accomplished in his, in his life or even as judge or whatever it is, point, points us to Christ. So I'm not saying every verse shows us Jesus. Uh, you know, there's like so-and-so begat so-and-so. You know, it might not, the names might not mean anything. And so, it, you know, how does that point to Jesus or it was the third day? Oh, well, that one you could go the third day he rose again. Okay, let me pick another. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm not saying that, which is what a lot of people think, you know, oh, if you, you're saying every verse and every word. No, every complete section. And even when it's a section about a bad king, that shows us how Jesus is not, what he is not like. Okay, so he, scripture can show us Jesus, you know, in, in, uh, as a type or a shadow or antithetically as well. Okay. So, uh, I would argue all the Psalms show us Christ. All 150 of them will show us something about his person or work. Obviously, it gets tricky when you come to certain of the Psalms. Um, you know, what about the penitential Psalms where, where David is repenting? You know, does Jesus repent? Any thoughts? Yeah, uh, Jesus never had to repent, did he? And so, uh, what would, how would you, how would you say it points to Christ? Penitential Psalms, sorry. In what way? Okay, so just the grace that that David is able to repent is God's kindness to him. Good. Yes, Joe. So David might be saved by the same cross that you're saved in for his repentance and your type of repentance, but the apex of everything is still the cross. Yeah, yeah, excellent. So he's still his forgiveness is still in in the in in Christ, and in fact, in Psalm fifty-one, remember he says, "Wash me with hyssop." You know, so the hyssop was dipped in blood, and so it's a a picture of the cross. Points us to the cross. Um, some of the Psalms go through the emotional and psychological effects of sin. Okay, so it's definitely worth going through. You know, we don't often think of that aspect. We just think, oh, oh man, I got a puncture. It's because I did that thing yesterday. Uh, <laughs> but sin is very destructive on every level. Okay, and continuous sin, unrepentant sin, or a lifestyle of sin really does bring. Um, Um, verse 3 of, so there are, let me just say, there are seven penitential psalms. Six, psalm 6, Psalm 32. Let me put them up for you if anyone wants them. It's, it's good to read because you can't repent too much, eh? <laughs> uh, 51, okay, when I say that, I don't mean you have to keep repenting and live with guilt over, over something you did 20 years ago. But a lifestyle of repentance is what the scriptures teach. It's not a once-off thing. Second Corinthians 7, it's a fruit, isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's a way of living. You don't like repent, and that's the end of it. And I, you know, I repented last year. Remember, it's carefulness, indignation, zeal. Those are continuous things. You need to be careful till you die. Okay, 
So repentance is a continuous thing. So that's why I say you can't get too much repentance. Okay, so uh, Psalm 32, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. See the parallelism there? Oh, maybe we did this one. Hey? And there's actually a, 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 like a bike a, a stanza parallelism because verse 2 says, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in his spirit there is no deceit. Then he says this, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Okay. Um, it may be that you know some illnesses and some fatigue is as a result of sin. Yeah, you can see that. My bones are wasting away, groaning. It feels as though the Lord's hand is just weighing on him. His strength is gone. Um, that fits with 1 Corinthians 11 about those who eat and drink in an inappropriate way. Some are weak, some are sickly, and, and some even have died. Uh, but the, the, the physical, emotional consequences, I think Psalm 38 also has some. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. It carries on like that. Now, remember, this is not to say all sickness is a result of personal sin. So don't go down that path. Don't look, you know, your friend comes tomorrow and, and I've got a cold. It's because of your sin. Uh, that's, that's wrong, okay? You need to be very careful with that. But certainly, it's good to examine ourselves. Um, now, I would argue that it also, they also point to Christ in that Christ experiences the consequences of our sin, doesn't he? So this brokenness, this despair, this the Lord's hand heavy upon him, isn't that what he experiences? But, but infinitely worse on Calvary. And so, the, again, the emotional, psychological, spiritual, and physical consequences of sin, Christ experiences it all. He experiences true loneliness. So remember, in our sin, there is, there is a break in fellowship with God. But we're never thrown out of his home because we're his children, if you're a true believer. But on the cross, Jesus is forsaken. Okay, And so uh, Psalm 22 is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, so that's how I would, I would, you know, again, what you've all said is brilliant. So you can see Christ in his grace that, there's, it's got the goodness of God leads a man to repentance. Okay, the cross should lead us to repentance. Threats don't cause anyone to repent. Remember in Revelation, even when the world is coming to an end and the rocks are falling on them, they refuse to repent. No one in hell will ever repent. Okay, no one's like this is so horrific. I think I will repent. It just won't happen. It's the goodness of God that leads a person to repentance and so it's it's the cross it's christ it leads us to repentance uh, and then uh, their forgiveness is found in what christ has accomplished and then christ took the punishment the fullness of that punishment on on our behalf so that's one way with the penitential psalms the imprecatory psalms the curses 
uh, that's where it becomes quite quite interesting. So I'm going to go to one of the sort of the most visceral ones, the most uh, um, sort of heavy, put it that way, Psalm 137. So this is a, a psalm when they are, are uh, have been taken, the children of Israel have been taken into exile in Babylon. Okay. Uh, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Okay, so uh, there's a Boney M song, this, okay. But they leave out the last bit. Verse 7, remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Okay. So, <laughs> what do you do with that? Is this... Uh, so we're saying... I said, you know, the Psalms are the, it's really the hymn book of God's people. So some theologians have said this is an inferior or sub-Christian ethic. Even C.S. Lewis talks like that about some of the aspects. Where David, David will say things like, you know, I hate that person with a perfect hatred. Uh, Lord, smash their teeth out. Very strong implications in, in the Psalms. May they never have children. Um, very, very powerful and, and disturbing at one level. But I think if we, get, if we understand what's going on, then it, it will help us a lot. So, uh, what would you say? Any thoughts, comments? How would you say it points to Christ? Or how, should we even be reading this? Should we censor our Old Testament Bibles? You know, just remove it. Now that we're Christian, we can get rid of these bits. Isabel? Okay, but by, if you're going to say that, by implication, we are a more advanced era because we don't do it. No, or... then I'll say, no, <laughs> then I'll say, you want me to give an example which was quite great, I think, uh, as babies, you know, when you, the child is known to you, like they say, like a pure boy, put them to the, what you want to call now, you know, so the way you discipline them and the way you show to them how they should react to, to things is quite different when they're young to when they're older. So I think it has a lot to do with how things were then, what was allowed, and how the New Covenant and the New Covenant has really 
Anyone else? Jared? Yeah, good. So it's not just personal, like that guy took my parking, Lord, you know, destroy his household. <laughs> uh, it's, it's something bigger. So that's important. As we said over and over again, we want to get the context. Um, I would just say, though, that when we come to the New Testament, are there curses in the New Testament? Yeah. And I mean, Jesus sounds like a mafia hitman when he says, if you, if you offend one of these little ones, it's better that, you know, a millstone is put around your neck and you're thrown into the river, okay? Uh, so, so it's not some, so it, I say that simply to say it's not some shift. There's no shift. In the New Testament, Paul says, if anyone comes with another gospel, let him be accursed, okay? Let them go to hell. That's what he's saying, okay? So incredibly strong language, basically saying the same thing. May they be damned forever and ever if they come with another gospel. And I've got lots of references here. In Revelation, the, the saints in heaven are praying for vengeance. How long, O Lord? Um, Matthew 23. So there are many places in the New Testament. So that, that really throws a spanner in the works. If you're going to say, no, it was the Old Testament and it was the era... Well, in the New Testament, we have Jesus and the apostles and even the saints in heaven praying imprecations. Tyler? Yeah, so in terms of the implications, like, when someone says, for example, in the New Testament, Jesus says you should love your enemy and, like, be quick to forgive. Yet in the Psalms, there's a lot of, like, these um, powerful implications that um, you sort of, like, pray for your enemy. So, like, I'm still trying to get you to solve this. Yeah, that's fine. It's the way it is. <laughs> you, you, I don't think you can. I don't know how you reconcile God's sovereignty, human responsibility. I don't know how you reconcile the Trinity. Uh, all I know is that to be Christian means that you live flat out in every direction. You hate properly and you love properly. And how they go together, we, I think we get a sense. We know, we, I mean, you can hate pedophiles and love children. Um, you, you, the things we can, we are very complex. You can love and hate at the same time. So how should we be praying imprecations? So the other argument is, no, well, then only Jesus can do it. But as we've already seen, Paul does it. And if the Psalms are for us, should we be praying curses? I don't think so. Well, if all scripture is profitable and it's all good for me, No, but that's the key. So, so, yeah, you can't be using it personally. Okay? So that's what Jared was getting at as well. That you, see, that the prayers are to do with God's people. Okay? The Edomites were seeking to wipe out God's people from the planet. David's enemies, it's not so much David, it's David as king, okay? as, as a type of the Messiah. 
Okay, that's where that whole thing, touch not the Lord's anointed, comes from. Okay? It's David as a, as a picture of Christ. So don't, don't leave here and say, hey, this is great. My lecturer failed me. I'm just going to pray a curse on him. Or <laughs> Then you've missed it. That's not, it's not personal vengeance. Yes, Yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 I pray that. I pray, I pray the Lord would smash Joel Osteen's teeth in. Uh, and Jehovah's Witnesses, I'm, I have to watch that I don't veer off the road with my vehicle. And, and uh, because I, I, I do have a perfect hatred for people who will damn other people to hell. Remember what the Lord said to the Pharisees. You know, it's, he almost says... It's, if you just want to go to hell, that's your problem. But your problem is you want to take other people to hell. You block the way to the kingdom for other people. And there's nothing worse than that. Okay? When you deceive other people in the name of Christ, um, it is something we should all hate, uh, truly hate. And I just want to read something, a quote from um, Alan. Leslie Allen, such texts as these in Old and New Testaments are given to readers in the throes of disorientation. So that's a, a lot of the commentaries will talk about this idea of disorientation in the Psalms. Okay, so there's orientation where you're in the right direction and everything's okay. But in life, often we're disorientated. Things are broken, not working properly. Uh, They're not given to those basking in the seasons of orientation or reorientation. P.D. James, in her mystery, Original Sin, has a character say to her Jewish colleague, If I had a God, I'd like him to be intelligent, cheerful, and amusing. And then the Jewish person responds, I doubt whether you'd find him much of a comfort when they herded you into the gas chambers. You might prefer a God of vengeance. Okay. So, uh, remember, because it's justice. And so when we, when we are praying for God to silence false teachers and those who seek to destroy the church, but now, as, as Kai alluded to, um, when, when you pray that, the wonderful thing now as a Christian, when you pray that for a, a person, is that you know, inside this person, <laughs> in here, in their heart, is a... <laughs> is a a, a Canaanite, okay, an Amalekite. In all of us, there is what Paul calls that old man, okay, that old nature, that sinful nature. And for, when you become a Christian, that old man is put to death. Okay? Remember, that's why Paul often uses that. We, even in 2 Corinthians, we've seen it. We died with him. Romans chapter 6, buried with him. You can't become a Christian unless that Canaanite in you is put to death. So, when I pray, Lord, destroy this false teacher, there are two ways God can do it. Isn't that right? The one is He could do it by saving him. Isn't that great? Okay. Does that make sense? So, He could destroy the old man, the old Joel Osteen. Okay? He could save him. He could destroy that evil nature that, uh, that, that deceives people and gives people a wrong view of Christianity. Uh, and so... Or that heretic 
down the road who's you know, converting people to Mormonism, whatever it is, uh, this is a way that God could answer that prayer by killing that old man in that person. And then the other is the final judgment, okay, in which he will do that. Um, just quickly to go back to Psalm 137. So let me just say this. You, you should be... Now, imprecations are not the whole Psalms, so it shouldn't be all your prayers. Uh, but it should be a part of them. Okay? Um, uh, we should be praying against evil and, and those who are seeking to destroy God's people and evil people who deceive others through... Um, you know, it just makes me sick, Jehovah's Witnesses, the way they'll come. They normally only visit me once and then they always bypass me afterwards. <laughs> but they'll come and they say, when they start that I actually know the Bible and that, then they're like, oh, no, it's fine. We're all Christians. It's okay. And then I'm like, we're not all Christians. You're not a Christian. You don't know Christ. You don't believe in him. You deny him. But they do that. They pretend like we're all Christians, like we're all on the same page. But they deny the Trinity. They deny the deity of Christ. They are not Christians. But they deceive people. They make the Trinity confusing. And so they, uh, they're like the Pharisees. They prey on weak people and uneducated people. And they, they confuse them. And it really, we should hate it. And uh, this is the tension of Christianity, is that you hate the person as well. There's not like a link. God doesn't send the sin to hell. He sends the sinner to hell. But you hate and you love and uh, I don't know how to put it together, but you do. Uh, you can't take personal vengeance. So you love and you do good and you bless and you give them a cup of water if they're thirsty. But you hate as well. Okay? And you pray for their destruction, that they would not damn other people. Okay? So uh, I'm listening to Chesterton at the moment. A lot of what he says is rubbish, so don't... <laughs> But what I enjoy is what he said is that as Christians, we are fanatics on both sides. We are extremists. We, Christians should be the ones who live life to the fullest, experience the emotions to the fullest. Uh, Christian, Christianity is not about being watered down. It's being full-blooded to really hate, to really love, to really be passionate. And that's what it means to be, to be a Christian. Um, yes. Okay, well, is this, a, is this relevant to... Yeah, Okay. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, really it's case by case, I think. Yeah, I wouldn't, you know, it's to walk a road with many people in cults. It's a long road, uh, you know, even I think I, I heard somewhere for a, an Orthodox Jew to become a Christian from first contact to conversion takes, you know, an average like five years. So for many people in those really dark, false worldviews, false religions, they're so entrenched, it takes a long time, and so you really need to show love. No, well, you're cursing that God would destroy the old man as well. 
that he would love them by destroying the old man. Uh, so, um, it, it's, it's a, it, but you know, if someone's not willing to listen to you or walk a road with you, then there's not much you can do. Do you, you know, wipe the dust from your feet, go where, go where the Lord's moving. Um, Okay, so I just want to end with Psalm 136. I want to go back to it quickly because, you know, you sort of say, but, but that's smashing children. How does that fit in? Well, again, the context, um, that's what was happening to the Jews. That was the Edomites who were from Esau, the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. So again, it's, it's, it's a bigger picture of this fight, this cosmic clash. Um, and so they were just really praying um, lex talionis, the law of retaliation, which I would say is still, still right. God will repay exactly what people deserve. The government should, has the sword and should give people what they deserve for their sin. That um, hasn't been removed. It's only in the cross, though, that we don't get what we do deserve. Okay. Uh, but then I would also just say I do believe that those who die as children are elect. Okay. So I think I mentioned this last time I taught. Okay. That I do believe that the scripture gives us enough information that those so that even in their destruction they would they would they were going to heaven. Okay. They were going to open their eyes in in glory. Okay. So. Um, how would you apply that to Christ? Well, of course, all the curses fall upon Christ, don't they? Cursed is every man who hangs upon a tree. And so all the curses come upon him. The curses that we deserve fall upon Christ. And then uh, uh, lament psalms, you know, specifically lament psalms. There's 50 of them. And that's why I said often when you're down, the psalms are a tremendous comfort because you, it is comforting to know you're not alone when you're feeling down, isn't it? I think that is a, is a comfort because often the devil wants to isolate us. Uh, he likes to do that, you know, once you isolate someone you, and you're in your own head and that's just where you're living, it's not a good place. Um, one pastor said you mustn't, um, how did he put it? You mustn't listen to yourself, you must speak to yourself. Okay. So preach the gospel to yourself. Uh, and reading the script, reading the Psalms, you're then aware that God's people have experienced these experiences. Okay. Um, and I really, I, I just, it's wonderful to me the, the, that, that we find this in Scripture. That um, just think if you had a, if you made a, your own religion and you were the God of it, okay? Do you think you would write down any prayers of your followers where they're angry or upset with you? No, I feel very threatened. Like, I don't even like it if my children are angry with me. I feel very threatened like, <laughs> and I have complexes and all sorts of things. We, I mean, you would never allow that. I mean, just think of tyrannies and dictatorships. You're not allowed to say bad things. Okay? God, God doesn't have complexes. He's got big shoulders. If the Bible's full, I mean, the book of Job, Job is going off questioning God. Where are you? What's going on? I've done nothing wrong and you do. And he goes off and off. 
the Psalms, like, God, where are you? Are you? Why don't you listen to me? Why don't you get up? Why don't you do anything? Why aren't you helping me? And it's there in, in God's scripture. He preserves it for us. So that when you feel those times, and because there is a form of Christianity that says, you know, you should never feel like that. You should always be happy, happy. Question. Sorry, I just want to interrupt you. No, no. Um, I think that often the Psalms articulate what you're feeling <coughs> when sometimes you might be feeling a specific way. And you turn to the Psalms, it's like, that's what I'm feeling. Yes, <laughs> definitely. And, it, and that's just an encouragement. It doesn't always pull you out of it. Like, it's not a magic pull often, but it's just a little step on the way if you're in dark depression uh, to to know okay i'm not cursed by god or something and this is you know because here it is david went through this and then when i come to christ and if i believe the psalms are really the songs of christ then christ experiences that on a far deeper level and he is truly forsaken he is actually cursed okay um so it's, it's a, I encourage you to read that, uh, even when you don't feel like reading anything, to, to try and read the, the Psalms and the laments. Okay, then when we come to Christ, uh, there are also explicitly messianic Psalms. Okay, so as I said, I believe they all apply to Christ, but then there are some that are what we call messianic. They're overtly about Christ. And there's different types one is typological, where the experience of the psalmist can also be applied to Christ. Okay, so the, the psalmist experiences something, but then it's also applied to, to Christ. Okay, so David being betrayed, remember he says, you know, the, the one who um, I shared bread with has betrayed me. Okay, and David was betrayed. He was betrayed by his own son, by his counselor, by, what was his name? Uh, Ahithophel. That Ahithophel was his close counselor. And then Ahithophel betrayed him and joined Absalom, his son. So David experienced betrayal. But of course, who does it point us to? And what specific event? Judas, Judas yeah. The one who dips... Bread. He, Jesus had a meal with him. Remember in, in the ancient Near Eastern world, a meal was covenantal. It was, it was a meaningful thing. In fact, even today in some uh, Middle Eastern cultures, if they do have a meal with you, they're really committed to protect you. Okay. And Judas ate a meal with Jesus and went out and betrayed him. Okay. So there, the experience of, the, of David is seen in experience of Christ. And then there's typico prophetic. So it's typological, but it's also prophetic. And that's where the experience of the psalmist, the way he's writing, goes beyond his experience. So there's something there, like Psalm 22 is, 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 a, is probably the, the most clear one. Verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Okay, ever felt like that? Here it is. <laughs> it's okay. You can, you can say that to the Lord. Uh, the Lord Jesus said it. 
David says it. Obviously, David is going through something that causes him to say this. Uh, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, and we can go on through it like that. But when he comes to more, you know, the, the other descriptions of the crucifixion, I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. Uh, For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. You know, we don't have any account of that happening in in David's life, you know, that he's pierced or anything like that. And so David is experiencing something very traumatic and, and separation from God and abuse and rejection. But as he's writing about it under the the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it, it pushes prophetically to, to Christ. Okay, Does that make sense? Um, and then there's prophetic where it points entirely to Christ. Okay, so Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Verse 1, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Okay. And Jesus points this out because um, you can't say, well, this is a psalm about David. The Lord is saying to David, uh, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Okay. Um, Because there, there are things like that. David is as uh, God's king. And, and there are a lot where he's, you know, the enemies will be destroyed and vanquished and he will rule. And, and so the, the scripture is used like that. But the Lord, the Lord Jesus, because when you, you get it, you get the sense of it in, in, in the Hebrew in Psalm 110. So the Lord, what does that mean again? Yahweh says to my Lord. So which one of these three is David? Yeah, that's, this is him. So now he's talking about God, but then there's this other Lord. So this is not David. It's not David as, as, as master or something like that, or as king, he's saying, the Lord said to my Lord. Okay, and so Jesus gets the Pharisees on this, doesn't he? Because he says, well, who, how is it that David says, the Lord said to my Lord? Who, who's he talking about? There's someone else. Okay. And of course, it's the Lord Jesus. And so Psalm 110 is just, it's just, it's not about, it's not about David. Okay. It's about Christ. So it points entirely to, to him. Okay. Then just in closing, I'm going to go back to, to Psalm one. So remember we said it's not in chronological order. It's edited. And, uh, we must also believe that the Holy Spirit was in charge of the editing. Okay, because this is how we have it. 
Now remember, it's not just the Psalter that's edited. The books of Moses are edited, okay? Because the end of the book of uh, Deuteronomy has the death of Moses. I don't think he recorded that part. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, we, you know, we don't need to worry about editing taking place in the scriptures uh, in their formation. God is in control of that as well. But they're edited and they put Psalm 1 at the beginning and uh, theologians talk about it as the gatekeeper to the Psalter. Okay? So remember, it ends with joy and victory and hope and it's like the new heaven and new earth rejoicing. So <clears throat> it's the liturgy. You know what a liturgy is? Liturgy is a form of worship or a, the structure of worship. So uh, at Heritage, you'll know that we have, we have announcements and then we have a prayer of invocation where we're asking the Lord to be with us. Uh, and often just before that, there'll be a short uh, scripture passage just to prepare our hearts, prayer of invocation. Then we'll sing uh, normally three songs, then a scripture reading, then a prayer, then a song, then the preaching of the word, and then a song benediction. That's a liturgy. It's a, the structure. Okay. And so when we come to liturgy, it's a ritual. Okay? And not all rituals are bad. Uh, you know, getting up and brushing your teeth is a good ritual. Uh, getting up is a good ritual. <laughs> uh, so rituals are important and, and it's the way God's made us. The danger with rituals is that they be, can become just rote. You just do it. Okay. Uh, that's not a reason to throw them out because the issue is not the ritual and it's just our hearts. But one of the dangers with, or with religion is that we think just doing the thing, there's a magic in it. Okay? Like in Roman Catholicism, they say just the work itself is enough. Just doing confession. You know, you've seen those movies. The guy's a mafia, you know, like the Godfather. The guy's like killing people, cutting them up into pieces, and then he's confessing, and he's very like family, family. <laughs> and he's like the priest. And I'm like, what? <laughs> there's a big disconnect here. What? Uh, but that's the danger with religion, is that you, you just think, all right, we do it, and we're okay. We sing songs, we're okay. We, we, we read the Bible, we're okay. Psalm 1 says, no, you can't do that. Right at the beginning, it says you can't do it. You need to be this type of person. It's the gatekeeper. You can't just come and sing songs and do church and think you're okay. You only come through the gate. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Okay, so... Uh, there's a lot one could say. Psalm 1 is amazing. But notice what it's saying. It's, this is the man, the blessed man. When I say man, man, woman, okay, mankind. The blessed person is the person who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers. What type of parallelism is that, would you say? Climactic. Climactic. You see that? Walking, standing, sitting. 
So there's sort of this movement to relaxation in the presence of sinners. Um, eventually ending up in the seat of scoffers, mockers. Okay, that's the worst kind of person there is. You know, it's bad enough if you, if you, you know, hang out with people and do bad things. But when you're with people who mock God, see, that's, they're, they're so far on the other side, aren't they? When they're scoffing, they're ridiculing God, mocking Him. It's not just, you know, I'm, I'm not really a good person, I do bad stuff. They're actually now actively mocking. And so if, you, if you're in this place, in this movement, uh, you will not be the happy, the blessed person, the person who's to be congratulated. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Okay, and so to delight in God's word. Uh, that's, I think, what law means here. Law can mean different things in different places. It can sometimes, it just refers to the Ten Commandments, sometimes to the whole Old Testament, sometimes just to the Mosaic Covenant, sometimes to the Pentateuch. It's just context. But whatever it means, and I think it means the Scriptures, or at the very least the Mosaic Covenant, that certainly includes the Ten Commandments. Okay. So again, in Christian circles, there is this move like, you know, that's anti-law. It doesn't fit with Psalm 1. The Christian is a person who delights in God's law. God's law is good. It's not, he's not trying to stop you from having fun. He's trying to give you freedom to have real fun. Okay? Uh, Chesterton has a great example. He says it's like an island. You're on an island. The law is like a wall around it. And it's, so it's an island surrounded by cliffs. So in this, in this, with this wall, you can go crazy, can't you? Because you don't have to worry. You're not going to fall off the cliff. You can have incredible fun here. Take that wall away, and the world is all shriveled up here in terror, living in this little confined area, worried about the edge. That's what happens. People think they're free. They're not. They're bound to, to sin. Uh, so Christians, we're the ones who can. Tr we're the only people who can truly enjoy anything properly, okay? Because it's not an end in and of itself. The only people who can enjoy sport, art, architecture, movies, music, creation, whatever, all the legitimate food, alcohol, sex, anything that God has given us to enjoy. We're the only people who can enjoy properly because it's not an end in itself. Okay, It's not ultimate. The moment you make it ultimate, it will destroy you. Okay, So, uh, delight in God's law. It's good for you. It's good for us. Uh, verse 4, the wicked are not so. Uh, there's also a way that the psalmist here spends a long section, quite a long section, three long verses on the righteous, and then the wicked, he just says, the wicked are not so, they're like the chaff. See, again, in the, po the poetry, God's people, there's more substance to them, whereas the wicked, they're like chaff. that you burn. Okay, so Psalm 1 is the gateway. Uh, you want to have the blessed life, the happy life, truly happy, not, uh, I'm not promising you Mercedes or something like that. I'm, saying to delight in God's law, to know Him, to walk in His ways, 
uh, then Psalm 1, and then the rest of the Psalms begin to, to show the Christian experience, and they all point us to, to Christ. Okay, let me close this in prayer there. Father, thank you so much for this time in your word. We, we praise and thank you for the Psalms. They are so rich. Uh, they are, are uh, the full spectrum of our experiences, our emotions, and uh, what a God you are that you are concerned about our feelings and um, how we react to things when we feel alone, when we feel afraid, uh, when uh, it seems like you can't hear us, uh, even if we are in, in a pit of depression and despair. Uh, this is an experience that your people go through. It is, it is uh, not uncommon to, to your saints and so thank you for the encouragement of that, Lord, and thank you for the way the Psalter ends with rejoicing and hope and victory and rejoicing and joy and pleasure and satisfaction, and that is the hope that we have as your people. One day that is coming. Every tear will, will be wiped away, and there will be no more sickness, no more shame, no more sin, no more temptation, uh, and we do long for that day. But while we here, help us to keep our eyes upon you, Lord Jesus. You are the, the true king. You are the uh, David's greatest son, the true Lord. And thank you what you went through for us. Please keep us safe as we travel now. Keep us from sin. That's the most important thing. Uh, prepare our hearts for this coming Lord's Day. In Jesus' name, amen.